Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. Okay, fam, we just came out of one of the most challenging and emotionally draining retrogrades that I've personally ever gone through, which makes sense because it went retrograde in the sign of Libra, which is my sun sign. And with Venus being my ruling planet and Mercury being in my moon in Gemini, the collective energy of this universal ass beating seemed to have occurred for me on the battlefield of both love and communication. And since uh, Libra is governed by the scales and symbolizes a need for balance, I mean, somehow I found myself walking through life with a type of emotionally induced vertigo accompanied by waves of unresolved emotional baggage, which of course, if you're human, is a fairly standard practice. You know, when Mercury catches you slipping in a dark alley with only a yoga mat and some mud water in your hydro flask and really no way to defend yourself. Of course, when it comes to remembering or training, you know, the most practical thing we can do when Mercury hooks us with a proverbial sonic boom of emotional turmoil is to breathe into these waves of chaotic feelings and situations, you know, and to do this with as much grace and compassion as we can. Of course, that doesn't mean that we won't lose our shit every now and again. I mean, in fact, I think being graceful and compassionate doesn't always mean that we just patiently wait until the storm passes. Uh, in fact, I, I think there is a way to gracefully and compassionately lose our shit without compromising on our values. You know, it's okay to feel anger if that's what you feel in this moment. But if you're going to feel anger, I think it's important that we have enough courage to feel it fully, you know, go all the way. This is why I have a profound, a lot of really profound respect for people moving through crippling types of depression. Because what they feel is never partial. You know, you never see a half depressed person out there. Because whatever they feel, they feel it with all of their being. You notice that? In some ways, they approach their pain with even more honesty than someone lingering on the sidelines of their sadness because they're afraid of falling into despair. You know, there's a certain, um, there's a certain authenticity I counter with uh, depressives, and authenticity that's sometimes really difficult to locate in people who aren't. You know, at a certain point in their despair, you know, they begin letting go of a type of control that many try desperately to hang on to. And uh, when that control becomes surrender, you know, there's a type of grace that opens up in their life. You know, where they allow themselves to permission to break and shatter into a million pieces. And if they are looking at this, ex, you know, explosion with the right pair of eyes, you know, they'll notice that it isn't really the spirit that breaks. It's the ego, at least in my estimation. And once that begins to fall away, I mean, you'll notice how it's, it's been holding us back the entire time. You'll notice how it's prevented our spirits from, you know, truly expressing its divinity in this life. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is called grace. Listen, I think... I think it's important to say that, you know, you will fall into despair from time to time. I just want to talk about this really quick. You will fall into despair from time to time, especially during Mercury retrograde. I mean, holy shit, I do. I mean, you will feel pain, but it's important to remember that, you know, the universe governs in a way that reestablishes balance, both in nature and in spirit. 
And uh, if you've ever recovered from a broken heart, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. There seems to be something about chaos that brings about an order in our heart, even if it's not right away. I mean, if you've ever done hot yoga for two hours and experienced the bliss of that sort of 20-minute savasana afterwards, then you know what I'm talking about. That shit can get crazy, you know, because it brings about a quality of humbleness that we rarely get elsewhere. And is you know, it's in these moments of recovery that we realize how integral these opportunities are for our spiritual development. And uh, this brings me to the topic of what I'd like to talk about today, if I can, which is suffering, the nature of suffering, and whether you know it's hardwired into our existence. So, have you ever heard that saying, "Life is pain," or "Love is pain"? You know, I mean, we can go a long time without ever coming close to admitting that this is true. If you've ever gotten your heart broken or lost someone close to you, I mean, it's simple sayings like this that can start to make sense, but only to your ego. And the more we tell ourselves things like this, you know, the more we actually start to believe it. I mean, this is why the illusory truth effect exists. And if you haven't heard of this, it's basically, it's basically someone's a tendency to believe false information when it's repeatedly exposed to them. I mean, if someone tells us that the sky is green enough times, I mean, you may actually start to believe that it's green. And just the same, you know, if a narcissist gaslights you into thinking that you are the source of all emotional chaos in your relationship, I mean, trust me, you'll start wondering whether dialectical behavioral therapy is something that you'd actually benefit from, right? And I mean, Lord knows I've definitely been there. And, uh, you know, as unpractical as this sounds when looked at from the outside, I mean, you'd be surprised at how often we subject ourselves to this sort of illusory truth effect of our own words, I mean, we tell ourselves that life is pain, that life is suffering, as if it's, you know, something we should all learn to willingly coexist with. But uh, I think, I think there may be some facts that we're getting confused here, because if you're a Buddhist, for example, then you've heard of the four noble truths that address suffering, and uh, a sort of common sloppy rendering of these truths involves us coming to believe that these truths mean that we must accept that life is suffering. But uh, I think it's a bit more nuanced than just this sort of existential and nihilistic statement that everything sucks. So one of the first noble truths in Buddhism is called Dukkha, which is a Sanskrit word. You've probably heard of it before. But when it's translated into English, it actually means suffering, right? And I think that this is where a lot of the confusion starts for a lot of people because according to Theravadan monks, the word actually means incapable of satisfying, so you see that that's, that's very different than taking a sort of reductionist approach and just being negative Nancys about the whole thing. So if we can focus on the real meaning of the Four Noble Truths, you know, we can see that suffering doesn't just exist as a blanket statement, but that you know, it exists in correspondence with our human desire. I mean, these are all facilitated by sense organs. You, know, you have taste, touch, smell, feelings. All of these things are moderated and organized by a busy-ass ego that always has something to say about everything, right? I mean, if you ask the ego what it wants, I mean, holy shit, I mean, what doesn't it want, right? It wants everything. It wants to be rich, wealthy, popular, powerful, beautiful, sexy, all these things. And then when we can't have these things, you know, we, we face a type of backlash with life, right? And in response to our sort of infinite number of unmet desires, I mean, you guessed it, we suffer. We either suffer by imposing a type of negative self-talk with ourselves, 
or we suffer by making others suffer, you know, as a result of not getting what we want. So, I mean, suffering definitely exists, but it isn't a type of suffering that's built into the fabric of every unfortunate situation that happens on earth. I mean, for example, I mean, when a tree dies, it just dies, right? When an animal dies, it just dies. Dying is one thing, but suffering is a completely different scenario because it it speaks to a type of grasping we find ourselves in when we don't want to experience something, right? And nature is not preoccupied with this. Nature is not preoccupied with grasping. Nature is just nature. It's natural. It flows and it surrenders to itself. You know, it isn't having full-blown conversations with itself, asking why it only has, you know, 50 followers or 100 subscribers. I mean, it's not doing this. I mean, you know, a, a flower, for example, isn't raising its petals in defiance for only being given 7 to 12 days to live. I mean, that's how long they live. If you think about it, it's crazy. We don't really think about that that much. But it isn't, it isn't raising its petals in defiance. I mean, why would it? Everything about a flower is already defined in its association with nature because everything nature does is natural. So we can't just see the death of a flower and assume that life is suffering. I, I think it would be more accurate to say that we, as humans, create the suffering by assuming that everything is suffering, right? Simply because everything in this life changes, right? This is, this is where the suffering is, right? We want everything to be the same or for maybe everything to work in our favor. And because it doesn't, we suffer. So in this way, you know, suffering is really less about it being hardwired into existence as an inevitable fact. I think in Buddhism, they're talking about the suffering we create as a result of not getting what we want. You know, this is the type of suffering that they're talking about. And this type of suffering is not something we really want. Yet, in some weird way, we act like it's something that we have no control over. I mean, think about it. I mean, do our bodies really want to suffer? And I would go as far as to say that, you know, every second we're alive, our bodies are doing everything they can to prevent us from suffering. I mean, for example, like when we get cut, I got cut the other day and my cat just completely slashed my finger open. But when we get cut, within seconds, our red blood cells create collagen, which forms the foundation of new tissue. And four to five days later, if you're paying attention, through some miraculous magical wizardry, that wound just disappears, right? It doesn't even say goodbye, it just disappears. I mean, when you think about it, it's insane. You know, when I was a child, I was really fond of Wolverine from X-Men because of this sort of regenerative rapid healing power he had whenever he was wounded, not even realizing that we as humans already have the capacity to heal. I mean, it's interesting that we tend to take our body's own ability to heal for granted, I mean, we're over here saying that everything is suffering and our bodies are like, nope, we're not suffering, motherfucker. We are healing within reason, of course. Our bodies obviously can't heal from everything. But think about it. You know, its intention is to always heal when faced with something it knows is causing you pain. And it doesn't have to do this, but it does. I mean, regardless of whether we think life is suffering or not, it's still there laying out the groundwork so that we can continue living our lives believing what we believe, and feeling what we feel. And, uh, you know, someone might come and say, well, what about pain? Isn't that suffering? And I would say no. You know, our bodies do feel pain, yes, but, you know, whether we choose to suffer over the pain that we feel isn't really left to the body to determine. 
The body just feels pain, right? It feels pain in the same way that it feels good when we take care of it. I mean, its sole purpose is to keep us alive. You know, it isn't occupied with what you think about the world, but it is occupied by how you feel about it because, you know, our feelings are interwoven within our nervous systems. But uh, in terms of suffering, you know, the body doesn't suffer in the way that we think. You know, what suffers is our ego when we impose our beliefs and thoughts onto it and then don't get the feelings that we want from our bodies. So suffering doesn't really start with the body. It starts with you, right? It starts with a belief or any number of thoughts that we have. And in terms of the, uh, the communicative aspect of our bodies, I mean, it, it lets us know when it feels good, right? It lets us know when we need to pay attention to something that doesn't. And you'll notice, you know, that our bodies are always pointing us in the direction of wanting to feel good, not in a conceptual way, right? Not in a neural way, but in, in a feeling that communicates that peace is its center. And because of that, it's always reminding us that peace is our spirit's center as well, right? Because you'll notice, even if we approach the body with the idea of suffering as, you know, a result of a wound or a broken heart, regardless of what you think, it still begins healing and continues the process of healing until it can reach a, a type of homeostasis, right? A type of peace where it can rest and focus on the things it actually does well, which is live. And the fact that the body assimilates in this way is all the proof we need to know that love is real. Because even when our ego is preoccupied with a broken heart, for example, our bodies are there just compassionately working on keeping us alive, I mean, we can learn so much about love by paying attention to how our bodies love us. You know, when we break a leg, it helps to repair the bone. When we cut ourselves, it repairs the wound. When we provide it with food, it provides us with life. When we are in pain, it releases endorphins into our bloodstream. When we're in danger, it pushes adrenaline and cortisol through our veins so that we can fight or haul ass in another direction. I mean, our bodies have given us way more than our toxic exes ever did. And yet still, some prefer being with them over spending time basking in the love our bodies give to us every day. And it always brings me, it always brings me back to mindfulness. When we're mindful of our bodies, we'll notice that we are hardwired to be happy, that we're hardwired to love. Because this is what our bodies are doing for us all the time. You know, our bodies are optimized for love. And because of this, so should we. You know, I mean, the proof is all, the proof is there. You know, we operate the best as humans when we love, when we feel good. And good things happen as a result of our ability to love others. I'm sure you guys are with me on this because you've felt it before, right? Life happens, relationships happen, expansion happens, and most importantly, love happens when we are fully integrated with the loving aspect of ourselves, right? Love inspires things like beautiful music, amazing art. It can take two completely different people and infuse them into one body through a child. You know, love can help cure diseases by a human's willingness to commit their lives to researching treatment that can save thousands of people. I mean, if you think of anything in your life that inspires you or brings you happiness or joy, if you look deep enough, you'll notice that love is behind that feeling. So never underestimate the power of your own thoughts and beliefs about the world. Because those beliefs, those beliefs are what determine whether you show up to life with a smile on your face or show up to life wishing and longing for things to be different and then, you know, suffering as a result of not having the life that you want. So listen, 
life is definitely enough. And you can choose wealth, you can choose success, money, fame, right? But if you're chasing that because life isn't enough for you, you might find yourself within the clutches of a sort of self-imposed squid game where you'll bend your heart into a pretzel trying to make life worth it enough for you. But maybe, maybe, this life can be seen just as valuable as any measure of fame we could ever achieve for ourselves. And all it takes is a simple awareness over the fact that you're breathing, your heart is beating, and you're something that seems unbelievably insane if you think about it. You are alive, right? We're alive, fam. <laughs> so I hope you guys enjoyed that little bit of reflection. Thank you guys for tuning into Divine Nobody's podcast. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, definitely like and follow our show. You can leave a review and let us know how you think or let us know what you think, not how you think. I mean, you can do both if you want. We're also on YouTube if you want to see the video elements of these podcasts. Of course, we're on Spotify and all the other audio platforms. You can find us on IG, Instagram, if you guys want to see some more content. But uh, of course, Jen will be back next week as she's traveling at the moment. In the meantime, you know, it's always a beautiful experience to share an intimate space with you, fam. I always think about who might be on the other side of this microphone. And, uh, you know, if you are there, I just want to say that I'm grateful for you and that I see you. And whatever you're going through, remember, you're definitely not alone. If you're alive, then you're healing. And we're all healing together. Namaste, friends. <laughs>